to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back, baby. We've done it. We're back. We cannot wait. There's been so much that's happened since we last recorded because even though we're on a break, football never is. But we cannot wait to crack into all of the goodness that has occurred over the last couple of months, I think it is. But it's a big episode. It's a big episode for many reasons. We are, we're going to discuss the newest member of The 100 Club, the Far Post podcast. We did it, gals. We only went and did it. Cannot believe that we made it to 100 episodes, actually. Where is our jersey with 100 on the back? <laughs> <laughs> at ESPN, looking at you. No, you've been a little bit busy lately, but we'd appreciate it. Fellas, you'll be getting a strongly worded email after this episode is released. Anywho, but no, we cannot wait. We've got lots of English football to talk about. The Champions League final, the Paramatildas at the IFCPF World Cup. There's so much to crack into. So let's get started. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For the 100th episode, you have the full gang, me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, Angela Christian-Wilkes and Anna Harrington. As we have done for basically 100 episodes now, let's start with some you love to see it because there's been a lot to love in the last few weeks. As I said, it's been a while since we've <laughs> recorded an episode, but let's crack in. Sam, what did you love to see over the last few weeks? Oh, I, I love to see so many things, but the thing that is freshest in my mind, largely because I was up at 3 a.m. in order to experience it with the other insane people in Australia was Amandine Henry's opening goal in the Champions League final for Lyon. That, the game itself was just insane and that goal absolutely set the tone for what ended up happening. And just the way that it happened, like I think uh, like Amandine Onyer is the kind of player who she does everything so perfectly that you almost don't recognise it and you don't really appreciate her for what she does. But this was a moment where you were like, actually, she is still an absolute boss. So she slides in to take the ball off none other than Alexia Pateas from Barcelona, takes a single step inside, a single touch and absolutely letters it into the far corner oh my god it was the I definitely woke up my new neighbors in the tiny suburb of Glebe where I live screaming at that incredible goal at three o'clock in the morning it was so fabulous and Henri is one of my favorite players I have her name on the back of my Leon jersey even uh it was yeah it was incredible it was one of the best goals I have ever seen not just in Champions League but ever in women's football and yeah what what a night what a player what a moment you love to see it the clip of that goal on, is it Dazen or DAZN? The people that broadcast the Champions League, the clip of that goal, 1.3 million views just quietly. It was that good, though. I We absolutely Sam's did. Sam's got about 750,000 of those views, I reckon. <laughs> that's right. That's I've right. got about 300,000 views and <laughs> Sam's made up a fair few others. On She's watching loop. it right now, actually. <laughs> You hear yeah, that buzzing sound? If you can hear that distance. buzzing sound, that's the sound of the tattoo artist currently tattooing the goal into my back. That's that, that's that sound. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. But you should still get the Ellen White tattoo. Anyway, we're getting off track. Angela, what did you love to see? Uh, there was so much to love about the Champions League final. I'm going to confess something right now and get it off my chest. I do this thing where I... I'm like, I'm going to watch the football, the 3 a.m. game from bed and it's going to be fine. I'm going to be comfy. It's going to be great. And that never, ever, 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 ever works. Like I put it on and it's like ASMR. I'm just like back to sleep straight away. So I have watched the replay, but um, listen to myself, get up, go to the sofa, just move slightly. Anyway, but um, so I didn't get to see this in real time, but I really love Panyos's save um well she did a couple of them but there was just a really fun one where she sort of just leapt through the air parkour punched it away um I think it was Heidelberg who had the shot and yeah FCB's defense at that point they were just a bit a bit scattered so she really pulled out all the stops to kind of keep them in it um and I think they did score their one goal shortly after that so it could have been I don't know it if that goal had gone in, they would have been on the same score where they lost last time to Leon, and now it's one less. So it's important, you know, it's good stuff. Anyway, so I really enjoyed that. Um, you love to see it. Also, 
it's, I'm struggling with like, I've forgotten everything that's ever happened in the past few months. There's just so much yet so little in my brain. So we'll work through this together, guys. I'm sorry in advance. No, really, truly, it's all thoughts. No, no thoughts, just vibes, all vibes. Harrow, what did you love to see over the last month and a bit, two months? Well, there's only one thing that can probably stick firm in my memory over now, the visual of Sam getting the Amandine Henri gold tattooed on her back. Um, That's going to be something we'll all have to push through together. Um, But my you love to see it, it's just been embedded in my brain forever is... Like, what else? Like, what? You, you can't possibly be surprised. It is Sam Kerr's goal to seal the league. Like, just extraordinary. It's all on the line. Chelsea look like they're going to fall at the final hurdle. She pulls out this, first of all, like, sensational left-footed volley. Like, you're like, that's good enough, Sam. Well done. Very good. You know, you're a star. You've won the league. And then it's always like she's gone, you know, I could do better. <laughs> uh, I've got more in the tank here. Yeah, I can, I can do one better than this. And, like, if you haven't seen this, like, while you're listening to this podcast, let's be honest, like, because if you haven't seen this goal, I I don't know what you've been doing for the last month. But, obviously, she takes it, like, chests it down to herself, sort of spins in midair. I can't imagine the type of, like, core strength um, you have to have to be able to pull this off. And, obviously, just as we see, leathers that lob in into the back of the net I, I just don't understand how you can do it physically apparently she practices this sort of shit in training all the time um, which is of course how she's able to do it in a big game but yeah we've talked about it like Sam Kerr just has just got better and better and better and better since joining Chelsea like from the player that left just after the 2019 World Cup to the player she is today like she's just above like everyone right now like I'll be shocked if when the next round of you know player of the year awards Ballon d'Or etc come around she isn't the favorite because I think she's just gone to another level again this season and yeah she pulls out the big goals in the big moments especially for Chelsea and they're not winning any of those trophies without her so Sam Kerr just and then and then just to cap it all off she went and scored another brace in the cup final as well just because she can um so yeah Sam Kerr just going from strength to strength and pulling off one of the best goals you'll ever see. Oh, you'll have to see it. We always do. It's been 100 episodes of you gushing over Sam Kerr and you're, you're right to do it and you should say it. But we'll start from the beginning. No, we won't. Angela's going to say some things. I think our very first episode was us chatting, chatting about Champos as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That's real cute, full circle. Yeah, Every- so that was 2020. That was Ellie's uh, first Champos. Oh, oh, jeez! Look at us! Oh my god, Aww. that's so fun! Look at us! Look at us! Who would have thought? Not me. Oh my god! Anyway, what we will do though is we will stick with what Harrow has just discussed and kind of do quick recaps of the FAWSL and the FA Cup because it's been a little while now, but. As Harrow just mentioned, Sam Kerr just continues to do things. So Chelsea won the league with a 4-3 win over Manchester United on the last day of the season. Steph Catley's absolute banger for Arsenal got lost in amongst the wash of Sam Kerr's ridiculous goals, but it is what it is, unfortunately. And then Chelsea obviously defeated Manchester City 3-2 in the FA Cup final. Any quick thoughts on those two games, my friends? First of all, I just thought it was awesome that Arsenal pulled off this sort of fight back this season. They felt like they were getting into, I don't want to say the doldrums, because they were still the third or fourth best team in um in England before this season. But their turnaround under Ardeville is quite impressive. Um, I love the way Caitlin Ford really came into her own as the season went on. Steph Catley, um, I think when we were first doing this pod was when she was coming off the injury and the really bad hammy and just couldn't get a run at it. And now she's obviously re-signed at Arsenal, is having a great time, playing really well. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really exciting um, race. I think with some of the coverage, you'd almost be inclined to think that Chelsea had already won it before the final day. But um, it like literally came down to the not even the last game, like like the last half of each of these games. Like Arsenal had one hand on the trophy for half of the final day um, before Sam Kerr did Sam Kerr things. But yeah, just awesome like super competitive. Man City obviously just fell off the pace quite early, and you'd imagine they'll be back sort of with a vengeance 
next year. I, I, I think what I really enjoyed was that all the Aussies sort of came into their own, um, including Alana Kennedy, who started the season like just totally out of favour. I know she had um, some things going on like personally and with her health and those sorts of things and had some injuries and that sort of thing. But to see her really solidify herself was was super impressive and she became such a key part of that back line. And I know she had the turnover in the FA Cup final, which was unfortunate. And yeah, obviously Sammy did Sammy things. Poor Alana. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was just a really exciting season. And, you know, all all our girls are going to be, provide they stay at the clubs, they're going to be playing Champions League again next season. They're all going to be involved. Um, it was a super competitive league. It just went strength to strength. But yeah, and... You know, the fact that now we're going to have Viviana Miedema back for another season as well. So you have the Kara Miedema thing. I think it's going to be a really competitive league in next year. It, it was just really fun. Um, I know we were more focused on dub rather than just the FAWSL this year. We made it, it was really enjoyable, like just a really competitive competition to watch with those top few, Sam. Yeah, wasn't it? And that final day, like, if there's ever been uh, uh, an argument for why all of the games on a final day should kick off at the same time, it was the end of this season. Cause I was like, I literally had like a live ladder open on one of my many, many screens. And I was watching Chelsea and Arsenal swap in, in first and second place over the course of that 90 minutes. It was so fun. And like when Martha Thomas put Manchester United ahead in that first game, in like the 14th minute or something ridiculous, I was like, oh my God, like, this is it. This is like, this is what happens, you know? And then, oh my God, Aaron Cuthbert, that banger is what, they were just bangers all over the place in in all of these games that we've <laughs> just coincidentally missed on the pod. Um, but yeah, like the constant back and forth of, of the exchange of goals in that game, watching Arsenal uh, come back as well. Oh my God. Like, yeah, it was, it was so thrilling. And it's going to be so interesting to see the direction that both of these teams, Chelsea and Arsenal, take in the next season, particularly now that Chelsea seem to be at the start of their own rebuild because Ji So Yun, absolute club legend, is going back to South Korea, which is a tragedy, um, though it's great for South Korean football because her celebrity is absolutely going to pump so much interest into that league. I mean, speaking of, like, marquee players... A-League women's, hello, like one of the best players on the planet, obviously, aside from probably Sam Cody, Carpenter, best player in Asia, she's just going back to, like, bring her in, bring her over here, you know, just for a season, you know, get people keen. Anyway, um, <clears throat> having to find a replacement for G, having to find replacements for a couple of other players now throughout Chelsea, um, now that they've they've sort of settled on what their attacking weapons look like, they're, they're now wanting to sort of bring through, I think, the next generation of midfielders and defenders, which is really exciting. Um, Arsenal, again, as you said, Harrow having Vivian Miedemar stay. That was like, I, I, that was sort of one of those moments. We don't have them very often, but her the announcement of her re-signing was one of those moments where you realised how far women's football has come. You know, that video that Arsenal posted, uh, the the one tweet they had with just a little goat emoji, the amount of people and the amount of coverage that that got, I was like a couple of years ago, nothing of this extent would have existed. You know, like that's so exciting to me. Um, and the way that they go about their Champions League qualifications uh, phases now as well is going to be so cool. So yeah, fuck, like what a, what a cool end to that season. It was just, it was so thrilling. Um, and like, I, I hope that we get more of it, you know, like this is, this is the reason that we watch this stuff. This is the reason that we're so interested in this stuff. You know, I hope that more and more people start to pay attention because FAWSL, I think, has stamped itself in this season as probably the best league in the world. Sorry, NWSL, but this is it. Got that. Um, another one that didn't mention was in the FA Cup final, Hayley Razzo's goal. It was a very Sam Kerr goal, the way she took it, the way she finished it. And I think that's probably been the question mark over Razzo in the past is how clean she can be, um, you know, because we know the energy she provides, how dangerous she is. She's got that speed, that strength um, is always buzzing around. But that sort of clinical finishing is something that she's got better at. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how she goes because I feel like with Chloe Kelly returning straight away, like, they had the blinkers on as soon as Kelly was available. It was like, this is the player we want in. And Razo was sort of knocked to the bench. So I imagine that's going to be a challenge for her to overcome. She obviously, you know, stood up in that final with a with a goal. So I'm going to be interested there. But, yeah, for me, it was just, as I mentioned before, like 
Sam Kerr. Just went from strength to strength. Like she'd already won the golden boot. And then I know that Meadema played a lot more as a 10 this season, which kind of takes away a little, a little bit of the competition. But Kerr was just by far and away the best player. She won the Football Writers Award, um, which is, you know, in terms of prestige is, is right up there. And I just, you know, you, you think players have levels to go to and you knew that she always was going to have more gears, I guess, but she just kicked it up another level. And I guess the the thing that from an Australian perspective, you go, okay, so how do you maximise this for the Matildas? Because she does so much already and we're so reliant on her. But how do you capitalise on, you know, what she can do in open play, how she can create these goals, you know, avoiding, um, I'm going to pinch a, a little phrase from our, the TNC boys, you know, spam crossing, like not just putting it into her and hoping she'll get a header on target because she's such a multi-dimensional player. And when she's playing for Chelsea, Emma Hayes obviously gets the best out of her. And I know she's got those quality players around her, but looking at the way some of our girls have gone in, in Europe and in England this year, the way Caitlin Ford has really shone as a season, we've gone on Steph Catley. Um, like how do we get the best out of these players heading into a world cup year? Because, you know, like, Maybe people said in 2019 we didn't get the best out of Sam Kerr at her peak. And I think it's shown that 2019 was not her peak because she's gotten better and better and she's maybe coming into that now. And I think the thing that comes out of it for me is all these players are, are playing so well in, as you say, Sam, the, the best league in the world, at least in terms of the top tier. Um, the NWSL maybe is the most sort of competitive, but I think the FAWSL in terms of quality is is the best. It just makes you think, okay, so how do we how do we maximize this? And that's what constantly comes into my head when we see Kerr just go from strength to strength. And she is next level as a sensation. Like she is almost bigger than Australian football generally at the moment. Like when you talk to people and they go, oh, do you see Sam Kerr's goals? Do you see? And I'm like, no, I didn't. You you have to fill me in. Um, <laughs> But, like, it is like that. It, it does feel like the Kerr momentum has gone to a whole nother level. Um, and it's, yeah, there's only a real sort of handful of Australian athletes who can command that sort of attention. I think Barty was similar in tennis where, you know, the interest in Ash Barty surpassed anything with with tennis. And I think Sam Kerr's at that same sort of level. But it just, yeah, heading into a World Cup, it's like, how do we maximise this? How do we get the best out of this player? Because she's just getting better and better. And she was clearly the standout in the season just gone in the league with so many incredible players. And we talked about when she first joined the FAWSL, people saying, oh, but Chelsea have, I don't know, Ramona Barkman in there and they've got all these players and Frank Kirby, who's a sensational player. Will they be able to squeeze her in? Clearly they do. They did. Penelope Harder comes in. Oh, is Kerr going to become sidelined by, you know, one of the best players in Europe? No, <laughs> she's still the focal point and she's just gotten better and better. And, yeah, you, you wonder how many more levels she has to go, but more importantly, how can we capitalise on this? I think also, like, when, when there's those conversations around, oh, this fantastic player, like, Harder is coming to Chelsea, um, that's just, like, the the competitive training environment is going to benefit players like Sam Kerr. You don't want her twiddling her thumbs at a team where she's the standout player all the time and she's got nothing to work for, so... Um, makes a lot of sense. I was going to say congratulations to Anna who um, just listened to our season predictions. You won. Chelsea topped the table. Me and Sam predicted City, which um, takes me back to that first, the first few weeks of the FAWSL where it was sort of, sort of like City really were going through it with the injuries. So I, I've been quite impressed with how they've managed to kind of come back and, and still have a stake at in the title race um and there were a lot of question marks over Gareth I don't know if there still are questions over Gareth or not but I feel like he's done a pretty good comeback there um what, I had another thing oh I bought the Arsenal shacket if anyone I don't think anyone cares <laughs> abyss because of Vivian Miedemar um abysmally priced shirt jacket thing that they have I'm not gonna say how much it cost um also just another random FAWSL thought West Ham finishing in the top half of the table that's nice gross that Spurs are directly above them but it's it it's significant improvement on last season which is good and I was just going to say as well Sam are you excited the next yeah yeah 
Yeah, Very baby. Funny. Finally, far out. Yes. But also speaking of predictions, I, uh, I it's all flooding back to me now. I did actually say I thought Tottenham would be relegated, which happy to be wrong. Happy that Kaya Simon is going to be staying in the top flight. Happy for Rianne Skinner. Happy that the club seems to be in fairly good straits at the moment in both the women's and the men's. You know, that's that's good for football. Um, but yes, I'm thrilled that Liverpool are finally giving a shit about their women's team. They absolutely stormed to the championship title and they are going to be, I reckon, a pretty a pretty serious force come next season because they finally have the resources and the platform to recruit some really top quality players. So I'm going to be really curious to see what this off season looks like for Liverpool, but I think that they should still keep their spine because it's a playing group that they have had for the past couple of seasons. They've already sort of started to shed a couple of players here and there, but now this is hopefully the first and last time that they will ever see the second division of football in England. I hope that they stay up for, for the rest of their existence because they're a really storied club. I care about them a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping that this, that was sort of like the, the crap season that they had to have in order for the club to realize how important this women's team is going forward. Sam, don't worry. We can still make lots of jokes. <laughs> Wouldn't expect anything I think less. it's important to clarify this. I feel like it I can't believe you didn't be... run with a, it means more. <laughs> Getting back into the top division. It means more. It wouldn't Are they going to be allowed post. at the training facilities now, Sam? Um, <laughs> that's actually a really good question. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Well, the blokes can't have it. They didn't win any titles today. Oh, there we go. All right, all right, all right. There, all right, we, there, go. there we go. There we go. There it is. There it is. There it is. Carry on. Play on. Anyway, it's going to be very interesting, I think, this off-season for Liverpool, for Manchester United, and whether those two teams are kind of the best of the rest, if Manchester United can actually kick it up and, you know, enter this hallowed big three, make it a big four kind of thing. Also just really interested with City, there seems to be lots of talk about a lot of players leaving. We know uh, Georgia Stanway's off to Bayern Munich. There's been talk about Kira Walsh and Lucy Bronze heading elsewhere, so... Lots to look forward to, lots to watch. We're going to be doing transfer watch now. The women's game continues to grow, but let's talk about... You just said transfer watch. And I was (laughs) like, we're also doing that. I mean, we did on Saturday and it was a delicious thing to watch, but we're not going to talk about politics. This is a football podcast. Um, So let's talk about the Champions final because that was the most recent game. So hopefully fresh in all of our minds or at least a lot fresher than the English competitions. So obviously it was a huge final. There was a lot of hype around it. There was very much a kind of the queens of Europe coming up against the emerging queens of Europe. And we're going to see, is this Lyon dynasty still a thing? Are Barcelona about to enter their bad bitch era and just win everything? We were going to find out. And we found out that Lyon absolutely are still in it. They won 3-1 goals to Henri Hegeberg. Hegeberg? Hegeberg. Fuck me. Goals to Henri Hegeberg. doesn't matter. Eggerberg, that has to be a meme. Eggerberg. Just it's make... the Van Eggnoggin all over again. Oh my god. Why am I thinking? I haven't had breakfast. That's why I'm thinking about eggs. Um there were lots of sensational goals, as we've already mentioned. Henri's was fantastic. Barcelona's play for that Putea goal to bring it back to 3-1 was absolutely phenomenal. But we had a little chat about it beforehand. Was this how we expected this final to go? Before we touch on that, I'd love to just a little quote from Hegerberg pre-match that I think sort of sums up the state of play heading in. Because to answer your question, no, I think a lot of people thought Barcelona would do the thing. And I think maybe Barcelona thought they would do the thing and got totally taken by surprise um, by a Leon team that now has out of Hegerberg. 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 I'm going to egg you on with this one. Um, anyway. There's a great quote from her before the final and um, Glenn Moore, who I work with at AAP, actually chucked it in his report. She said, there was women's football before Barcelona and it was played here, Leon, for years. We have to win again to regain our place in world football. So I think that's almost a scene setter. Um, the, you, as you say, Marissa, you had 
the up and coming queens, Las Arenas of Barcelona coming coming up, and you had Leon, who was the old established. We were doing this before any of you even cared, like before Barcelona were a thing, we were here, we cared. And I guess Hegelberg was sitting on the sidelines with that ACL recovery watching as Barcelona, um, you know, sort of worked their way up to, you know, challenge for top spot. And they were, they were the champions of Europe last year. So it sort of set the scene perfectly. It's the old guard led by players like Henri, like Sam mentioned, Eugenie Lesimer. And let's not forget Leon last year had players just go off to America and hear this, that, and everything. It was a little bit chaotic and it, it sort of felt like a, maybe a return to normality. This season they recovered after losing Kumagai, those sorts of things, versus the up-and-comers. And, yeah, I, I love that it sort of set the stage that way because you wonder how much more does this Leon team have in them? We know that they've sort of recruited for the future with with players like Ellie Carpenter, who we, we touch on, and... Um, and Macario and, and these sorts of players. But Barcelona were very much the, I guess, on-trend team. It's the, you know, traditional men's powerhouse coming through and and setting the tone. And I, I honestly think a lot of people thought they would get the better of Leon and they would have been shell-shocked by what happened. And Sam, you mentioned three in the morning, you were up losing your little mind over it all. And I mean, did you see this coming, Sam? Because I think people obviously would have thought it was competitive, but I re- reckon... Barcelona would have been pretty heavily favoured, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. I I didn't see any prediction that saw Leon not just win this, but storm to this kind of result. Like that first half was maybe one of the most dominant displays I've ever seen in women's football at this kind of level. Like I did not, I did, I did, I didn't expect it to be so one-sided, you know, like I, I, I think back to the 2019 final, which was like this. And that was sort of before Barcelona became Barcelona in some ways. And that, you know, you read interviews with some of the players who were there for that, that 4-1 loss. And they, they talk about how that was like, that was the, the, the furthest that they'd ever gone in the competition. It was the loss that they had to have. It was the experience they had to have now that they, now they knew what it was like and what it took to win a Champions League. They showed the following year against Chelsea, the lesson, like they implemented those lessons but it's it's interesting because that was at the same time that Barcelona was really reaching that peak. Leon, as you mentioned, Harry, was sort of troughing a little bit. They lost the league title to PSG as well in that season. They a bunch of players just sort of went walkabout, which was really weird. They didn't have Hegerberg, who I think really needs to be actually seriously complimented on her role in this Leon team because. You think back to that 2019 final, she scored that hat-trick in the opening half hour and just completely put Barcelona to bed. And while she didn't score a hat-trick in this final, she scored a goal, she assisted another and was involved in the build-up of the third. Without her and without her work rate off the ball, without the, the role that she plays in terms of connecting all the players around her, I don't think Leon does what Leon did against Barca this time around. I think she was absolutely critical for them. And Sam, I mean, it's is, just... Is it fair to say if Henri is like Leon's heart, then Hegerberg is... But she's their soul, really, isn't she? Like, they can't exist without her, it feels. Yeah. Like, I know they brought in Endler. They, I mentioned Macario. But it feels like she's the one that holds it all together. She's maybe the glue. She is, she's the profile. She's the face of the club. She is... Like when you think Leon, as much as you think of players like Henri and Wendy Renard, Egerberg is the the spectacular one, right? She's the 100%. one that she's the point of difference. She's yep. the one that brings it all together. She's the one that said, now, you know, for so long, fuck national team football. They don't treat me the way Leon do. So much of her identity is based around Leon. And I think when you have a player like that, you can't help but sort of that player becomes part of your identity as well. Yeah, just, totally. She just seems to be what takes them to that next level yeah she's the all-time leading top scorer of the women's champions league as well and she's only like what 25 26 like extraordinary player yeah she's just unbelievable so yeah i mean i like this i had a bet with a friend i don't often bet this but i had a bet with a friend i think i was maybe the only person amongst my friendship group that thought leon would win this and it was largely because i wanted ellie carpenter to do well uh, which I, i guess in doing so i sort of sent out a curse into the universe but we'll talk about that um, I, I predicted 4-2 that Leon would, would win this 4-2 and I sort of got a little bit of the way there, but because everyone thought Barca would, it, would do it. Everyone thought, like we've seen, we've seen their, 
league stats this season. They didn't lose it. They didn't drop a point. They won every single game. Like they scored 170 something goals and conceded eight, eight goals. They conceded over the course of their whole 30 games in their league, right? Like it's, you look at those kinds of things. You look at all the crowds, you look at their style. You look at the fact that the Spanish, that's basically the Spanish national team with a couple of stars sprinkled around it. Like the, everything pointed towards them usurping Leon and really stamping themselves as the, the biggest women's club currently in world football. And I am so glad that they didn't do that because it means that there's still competition. It means that it's not, it's no longer a a one horse race. Like I'm glad that this has happened because it like Barcelona again are going to be like, well, fuck you guys. Like we're going to come back even bigger, even stronger next year. We're going to recruit more players who are going to take us to that kind of level. And Leon are going to continue to respond to that as well. Like this is, this is the Barcelona, Real Madrid of the men. This is like, you know, this is, it's, it's great. It's great. That's what I'm saying. Can I, can I be sad for a moment, Marissa? Ellie Carpenter got taken off in the 13th minute. She had to be taken off on a stretcher. Um, I mean, the initial thoughts is suspected ACL, right? I think everyone, when you see a player go down like that, you go, it's the worst. It's an ACL. Hopefully she's avoided that. We would love to see that. Um, Leon weren't overly optimistic post-match. We saw Ellie in in a full leg brace. Um, credit to Ellie Carpenter and, and Angela, your, your tweet, your oh-lo-she-going one about Ellie Carpenter on crutches, hopping on one leg to meet all her teammates celebrate. She was hopping on one leg faster than I reckon I can run on two. Now, she's a very speedy gal, Ellie, but the strength <laughs> was incredible. I, I, I also think it is worth... We'll, we'll, talk about the ramifications for the Matildas, but I think it is um, a real credit to Ellie Carpenter. She was obviously on the field for the Henri goal, so she did play a a role before she got injured. But the way she was able to put her personal disappointment behind her to get around her teammates, to support them, to be clearly front and centre in the celebrations, if you had a look on social media, I think it's a real credit to her character and uh, just underlines why she is such a, a top professional and a top player and is going to be a top player for many years to come, regardless of what this injury setback is. Because it's so, I imagine it'd be so easy to straight away, the, the, you know, the world's falling in, woe is me, will I get back before a World Cup? What does this mean? Like all the questions you have, and at such a young age, at, at 22, a player who has never really had a, a serious injury in her career, she's been very, very durable and you know, her athleticism and her professionalism and all these things since she was, you know, 15 have have really, you know, helped in that regard. But And you, you've got no doubt that much like, say, a Chloe Legazzo, she'll put everything into coming back from whatever injury it turns out to be. Um, but I, I thought that was a real, a real credit to her, the way she could pick herself up again and didn't let it drag down Leon. And they obviously carried on and, and won. And she gets to say, even though it was only 13 minutes, she actually was on the pitch for this Champions League win and you can tell it actually it means something different she was saying to our guys at AAP I think she said to you Sam spoke to, SMA, she spoke to everyone before this game about how she wanted to actually you know play a role in a final whereas before she was you know on the bench with Lucy Bronze having her send off um yeah but I mean it, it from an Australian perspective I think the immediate wash up was yes Ellie Carpenter's done this but oh fuck <laughs> she has potentially done a really serious knee injury and what does this mean for the Matildas? And Marissa, you were saying um, pre-recording, we're sort of at that point now where, and I know when I was updating our story yesterday, everything now in terms of injuries is going to be in the context of the World Cup because we're close enough now. It's only 14 months away. If she's done a ACL or another serious knee injury, that's looking it up to maybe a 12-month recovery time. So you are, if you're Ellie Carpenter, right, you know, are now in that spot of racing the clock, the race against time, these sorts of cliches. I mean, I guess the first impression is what does this do for the Matildas and what does this mean for Ellie Carpenter? Sam? Yeah, it's kind of terrifying. I'm I'm hoping that it's not an ACL. I'm hoping that it's a it's a different kind of knee injury that perhaps takes a little uh, less time to recover from. Uh, we're not going to know anything till probably midweek when she gets scans uh, back in, in Lyon. Um, but the, the immediate thought of mine turns to the upcoming friendlies that we have against Spain and Portugal and what Tony Gustafson is going to do and who he's going to use because over the past 
probably eight to 12 months um, of friendlies the Matildas have played, we haven't really seen anybody step up into a, the Carpenter role in the same way that we've seen, say, a Courtney Nevin step into a Steph Catley role. We haven't really seen, like, we've got a Charlie Grant, we've got a Carly Rosbarken, who's more of a left-sided player. You know, we don't, uh, uh, like, it's sort of worst-case scenario in the sense that now that we've realised that this is a player who's not going to be available, the, the pool of players below them is actually really, really shallow. And like we've talked about that in different kinds of positions and with different kinds of players, but for some reason it just felt like Ellie Carpenter was invincible and that this was never something we would ever have to think about, you know, like we, I, I can't think of outside of maybe two or three players who are at the kind of level who in the next 12 months can potentially become an Ellie Carpenter replacement if she's not available. But at the moment it's, yeah, it's like, emergency sort of stations I think for the Matildas coaching staff and for Football Australia trying to figure out what to do here because they haven't used their time wisely in retrospect they haven't been giving serious match minutes to Carpenter type players who can play in that role in case this did happen and now that it has I'm sure they're probably looking back going oh shit well, exactly. Well, at least now Charlie Grant is playing in Sweden. She wasn't last year. Carly Rosbacken's getting minutes in Norway. She had such an awful injury. And I think she is right-sided, Sam, but we've had to add a necessity either as a backup for Catley. Um, but, you know, Rosbacken, as you say, has barely played. Like, she was very much out of favour. I think it underlines things we've been talking about for ages, not just in terms of Carpenter, but with Steph Catley as well, right? Saying, why isn't an Angie Beard in squads more consistently? I think it underlines that we need to see all these players used um we can't just look at narrowing the focus it's something the u.s women's national team do quite well is keeping players in and around the fold um because if you're the u.s you know for example here you can call and i know she's been in camps recently it's like a sphere work though right so you know like we need players who can step in uh and i was writing about it yesterday i said the carpenter is effectively an, an irreplaceable player because of her quality and you know her experience her durability all these things but the most obvious like for like is Charlie Grant and Carly Rossback and can play right back. The only other player I think who has played right back is um is Chloe Legazzo, who is also out injured. And you know, she's very much a pinch hitter in that role. So if if Carpenter has done an ACL, unfortunately, it would be the third in less than 12 months after Legazzo and and Holly McNamara. But yeah, I think in terms of looking at these friendlies, as you say, Sam, it's going to be pretty tough going up against some of these uh, these Spanish attackers without Ellie Carpenter. But geez, we got to test that player sooner rather than later, right? You know, the other player who got used as a as a defender was BD Goad um, in those games against Germany and the Netherlands, who we haven't really seen since. I would like to see her in the upcoming squad against Spain, given she's been playing in Spain for the past however long. Um, Here's a wild potential spanner in the works. Another player, another player who we know has played right back against some of the best players in the world is Caitlin Ford. And I know that she hasn't Sam, no. I had the whole chat just like, no. <laughs> but like but- I knew where you were going and I wished you wouldn't. <laughs> Like she, Caitlin Ford, we've talked about this. Caitlin Ford hasn't really been performing for the Matildas as a left winger. We are so overstocked when it comes to attacking players. We've got an Emily Gilnick. We've got a Rasso who could probably play either side. We've got a Kaya Simon. We've got Sam Kerr. We've got a bunch of new wingers coming in as well. We've got a Courtney Vine. Like we've got Rasso has players. played fullback as well, actually. Rasso's played fullback as well. Not my favourite well. thing either. But... She didn't play particularly well for fullback in those early days for the Matildas. No, but... but I just remembered that she did. <laughs> So we've got versatile players, right? We've got players who who have experience in those roles that probably not their best roles, but they can do them. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see what's going to happen now because like are, are the Matilda's coaching staff going to stick with this whole narrowing the focus? We've got our playing group. These are the players that we need to be able to mold and shape depending on circumstances, or are they going to, just put a little bit of a hole in their bubble and reach out and pluck another right back, like a, a serious dedicated right back to come in and fill that, that spot. I don't know yet, but I think these upcoming friendlies are going to tell us. I think they have to do that, Sam. Um, my, my biggest view on all this is we can't just keep, you know, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like we can't, it, it does, it doesn't work. Like we saw it with Ellie Carpenter playing centrally. We missed her so much with her strength. And we know that there was reasons why in those early games in the Olympics she played 
as a as a centre back. But I think so much of what we've seen over the past few years, you know, look like at Steph Catley going central as another example in the at least Callan Knight days, sorry, Marissa, um, when she had to play left back instead of midfield. I think it just shows you're better off having players where they play their best. And to be honest, the the recent rounds in Europe have made me think, well, should we play Caitlin Ford more centrally because she's done so well as a nine at Arsenal? And we know that Sam Kerr can move around and be so fluent in the way she plays and maybe not get so isolated. Like These are the things that you go, well, actually, this Caitlin Ford playing as a nine look better for us. I think we've got to look at a, a right back. Like, what's the point in having Charlotte Grant in squads if we have no faith in her to actually be able to do the thing? Like, why, why, why pick her at all? To be honest, if if she's not going to do it, and we saw some moments that she can, she can perform. We saw her against New Zealand. She got thrown in. Yeah, she's not at Ellie Carpenter's level, but we gotta, we gotta try. Like, and that's what these friendlies are for, right? If if Charlotte Grant is going to be in our World Cup squad in a year, she has to show she can do the thing at the level and there's never going to be a better opportunity than now and if she gets totally burnt by Spain and Portugal and you've got a backer that she won't then you have to think well who else is there and as you say Sam cast the net wider look at who are her experienced options etc cetera, etc cetera. but now is the time right like we always thought you always think well Ellie Carpenter won't go down she has we don't know how long for but this is the time where you've got to test players out and they as you say Sam it's maybe a missed opportunity that they weren't doing this already um, but yeah, I think it, if anything, this injury should be a real, I don't want to say a wake up call because they're professional coaches. They know what they're doing, but like, you know, that you can lose any player at any time. Look at Leon losing. They never would have thought that they'd lose at a Hegerberg, not just for 12 months, but for what full 18 or something it ended up being. You have to have these contingency plans. Like, and again, with like, if we move Caitlin Ford wide, what if and that's the worst possible thing? Something happens to Sam Kerr, right? You need to have the next one in. And I don't think it's an Emily Gilnick. I think it's Caitlin Ford is the next option at night or Mary Fowler, right? So we need our best players playing where they're at their best. And unfortunately, I think that means that we're going to have to entrust the next fullbacks to come through or next defenders to come through and, and fill the void a bit. But as you say, Sam, hopefully not an ACL. We all got our fingers and toes crossed, but... I think now's the time to go, who can step up? And, I mean, name up in lights right now is Charlie Grant, right? That's something that we will discuss more so once we actually have squad announcements. We'll do a little preview of those upcoming friendlies against Spain and Portugal. But Spain's a really good segue to have just a little bit of a chat about another Matildas team, the Para Matildas, who were over in Barcelona at the very first IFCPF World Cup. There, the announcement of the Paramatildas occurred 71 days before they made it to their first ever World Cup final. And every time I think about that, it blows my tiny mind. I cannot believe how well they did. The game, the final against the US was absolutely unbelievable. They're, they were just magnificent. I know they didn't win the World Cup final, but they made a World Cup final and they came second and they were just Absolutely phenomenal. Sam, I know you were tweeting along watching all of these games. So tell us a little bit about the Paratillies. The Paramatildas are my current favourite national team. I am obsessed with this team. I was lucky enough to go along to the jersey launch for the team and the, the captaincy announcement, which was done at, at Football New South Wales. So not only was this team put together 71 days before they made the World Cup, but they didn't actually play their first game together until 13 days before that opening game in Spain. It was amazing. So the fact that they have made it as far as they have, the fact that they are the first senior Australian team to make a World Cup final, the fact that they won a silver medal, the fact that they had two players in co-captain Georgia Bykoff and goalkeeper Caitlin Smith, who took out individual awards from that World Cup as top scorer and best goalkeeper, all with the, the absolute just peanuts of preparation and resourcing is extraordinary. And when you sit down with these players and you talk to them about what it means to pull on the green and gold of Australia... It's the kind of conversation that reminds you of how important these opportunities really matter and what it does for players like these to be given finally the absolute smidgen of a pathway 
to pursue football at this kind of level that every single player who I've met from the Paramatildas has their own unique, really inspiring, really powerful story. One of my favourites is Nicole Christodoulou, who is a 29-year-old teacher out in Western Sydney. She grew up obsessed with football. She wanted so badly to be a Matilda. She talks so much about running home from school and watching YouTube clips of Messi and Ronaldinho and going out in the backyard and practising with her football. But when she was 21, she had a stroke and she, I mean, that was it. She felt like her entire life, her entire dream, all of her aspirations came crashing down around her. And there was a a really beautiful interview that she gave with Channel 10 where she talked about how football was the only thing that was getting her through her rehab. It was the only thing that she could turn to that gave her hope and that gave her a drive to try and get her body back. And when she found out that CP football existed, when she found out that there was this thing that allowed her to pursue her dream, it was, it was this miracle. It was angels and trumpets, you know, and it, it gave her a reason to be the person that she's become to, to push through all of the barriers thrown in her way as a woman with disability and to see her come onto the field in that green and gold Jersey to score a goal for Australia and to see her face after that moment was like, it it was, we talk a lot about Australian football being in the toilet over the last couple of years, but these kinds of moments remind you of just how special it can be for people. And the fact that it was broadcast live and free on, on my football, that so many people tuned in. There was lots of coverage from mainstream media as well. I was lucky enough to be able to write some match reports and do some interviews. Like there was live tweeting. There was like, it was commentated, even though the AI camera was really crap at some points and we missed a bunch of goals. But the fact that it, it was there at all, the fact that this tournament was available for us to watch around the world at all the fact that women with cerebral palsy acquired brain injury and symptoms of stroke have opportunities to pull on their country the the colors of their country and to play for a world cup at all is extraordinary it's they're, they're such a special group huge shout out to football australia to Kelly Sturton, the head coach, to Football New South Wales as well, because they were really important back in 2019 when they finally invited women players to take part in the first and the national CP uh, championships, which up until that point had only ever been contested by male players. And Kelly Sturton was the first woman head coach to, to come to that tournament as well. And so that's where she plucked all of these women players who eventually went overseas and, and represented Australia. So it shows what you can do just with an opportunity not a huge amount of resources, but just the people who care, the people with the drive and and uh, and the backing of, of a, a small community of people around them. I'm so proud of them. It's historic. They're now the highest ranked Australian national team as well. They're, I think, second in the world after the USA. The final itself was extraordinary. They pushed them to extra time. It, yeah, I'm, it's, I'm sort of lost for words with this team. I'm just, I'm so happy that they're part of the Matildas family. And it's worth noting just what incredible athletes they are, as you say, Sam. Like, it's only a bit over two months ago. I was in Beijing, as we know, for the Winter Paralympics. And Ray Anderson, who was one of the players, didn't get a heap of game time with the Paramatildas, came off the bench a bit, I think. But only two months ago, she was competing um, at the Winter Paralympics, like in um, in giant slalom and, and slalom. That was her first Winter Olympics after previously representing Australia. Um at the Summer Paralympics um, in, in, in Javelin was one, was one of her sports. So, like, these – and I remember talking to Ray, like, in the airport in Beijing when we are all waiting to come home, and she was just banging on about how much she loves soccer and that the Paramatildas had just been announced. And, obviously, she was right in the midst of her, her winter sport stuff, but clearly some connections happened because she knew quite a few of the girls, um, I think, from Aths and that sort of thing. She played soccer all the way through as a kid um, and then turned to athletics as, in terms of para sports. But um, – yeah, just was an absolute soccer nuffy. So it was great to see her get in the um, in the team and she was buzzing when that was announced. Um, and it's great to see um, the the Paris and the Paramatildas up and running, like not just that the Paramatildas have been introduced, but that they're actually all competing. These teams are competing and that's something that in, in COVID times or earlier in COVID times wouldn't have been possible. And as you say, Sam, they you said it so well, they did everyone, their country, themselves, their sport, proud and you'd have to think they can only go from strength to strength from here because of their debut tournament like 
Um, and they, I felt like there was a huge wave of momentum just looking at my Twitter feed and, you know, people getting around them and people enjoying them. And it was great seeing like, um, I saw like Sam Kerr and Alana Kennedy and other Matildas players really getting around it on Instagram as well. So that's fantastic. And we're, you know, the sport or football and the football family, as you say, Sam, is only going to be better and stronger for having more teams like this involved. So exciting time. Inclusive sport. It's the best sport. And a boot to the AI camera. I hated it so much. Um, so, yes, that's my, my tiny boot. And I think it's the boot felt Australia-wide because it was just you You check Twitter and in amongst the excitement about the paratillies was just, camera, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Do you know how to be a camera? I don't think you do. But anyway, as always, we like to end on a positive note. So beyond the just how good of us making 100 episodes because I cannot and will not believe it, it truly blows my tiny mind. So thank you all for tuning in to us for 100 episodes. You're beautiful and ridiculous and I love you all. Angela, do you have a how good? I, I do. I do have a how good. Um, it's a very short how good. Uh, the one-man merch machine, my dad, he finished number 12 worldwide in the FAWSL um, Women's Super League. FAWSL. Words. Fantasy League. That, I was like, there's another league. There's two leagues. Anyway. Um, and he sent me a screenshot of his final standing. So at one point he was in the top 10, I think, um, and he's been keeping me updated, but he said that finishing number 12 must put him on the bench. But I still think that's very impressive. Anyone who's entered a fantasy league team will know that the plight of actually keeping it going is enough. Like I would be proud of anyone who does that. So to finish number 12 in the world, that's very, very impressive. Pete, well done. Well done. Um, so that's my how good. Um and yeah, good who, good for him. Who were his standout performers? Like who could he count on? Like did he did he have Sammy K? Like who who did he turn to time in, time out to to get the job done? Oh, that's a great question. I don't actually know who he he's very methodical about it. Um I can actually <laughs> maybe I'll grab a screenshot of it and put it on the on the the Instagram because I don't have it in front of me right now. But it's a good question. It's a very good question. I think you have Miedemar in there. Um I remember him mentioning that, but I have to, I have to ask him about that. Good for him. How good? You said he finished twelfth, and my brain just said, "Oh yes, he's Mister Worldwide." Why? <laughs> Why? Very good. That would make him Pete Bull. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh my god. Pitbull is excellent and we need to make a meme. If only it gets sent to your dad. I don't care. We need to do it. It's hilarious. I love it. Sam, share a how good with us. So outside of the Paramatildas and all the other great stuff that we've been talking about, one person who I think is really, really under-acknowledged when it comes to women's football and a player who I want to give a massive shout-out to is Wendy Renard. I tweeted about this earlier today if Sam Kerr doesn't win the Ballon d'Or, I really deeply believe in my heart that Wendy Renard deserves it. She has not only become, I think, the first player to play 100 Champions League games, but with this title with Lyon, she has won her eighth Champions League trophy and Lyon are on course to win their 16th French league title. She has been there for all of them. She joined them in 2006. It's been her only club. She has been the heart and soul of this Lyon side and absolutely crucial in their domination of women's football. Defenders don't get anywhere near enough credit when it comes to awards, but Wendy Renard is already legendary in so many people's eyes. And when she retires, she's going to be up there for me. And I hope for a lot of other people with like your martyrs, with your uh, with your rapinos, with your, you know, the the absolute pinnacle of women's football, footballers who have changed the sport. And I was so thrilled to just see her embraced after this most recent Champions League win. I think the world is finally realising that Wendy Renard is a superstar and deserves all the accolades in the world. So, yeah, Wendy Renard, doing it for the tall gals. How good? <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to Australia for my how good um just a little shout out to a pod favorite um it's been a bit over a year since um one of Canberra's uh finest 
did her knee and Nikki Flannery made her return um, in the New South Wales NPLW for RPL Icart on the weekend. Um, I think it's been quite an arduous uh, recovery process for her um, from her ACL. There's been some different setbacks and it's been a pretty, a pretty bumpy road, I think. Um, but for a player who was in such fantastic form in the dub before copping that injury, she was obviously in a um, Matilda's talent ID cam when she injured herself. Um, it's great to see her back out there, such a fun player, a talented player. And I think in, in that mix of players that will be wanting to make a bit of a statement in the upcoming season. So uh, yeah, big congratulations to a pod favorite, Nikki Flannery coming back from ACLs successfully. How good. It always warms the the cockles of the heart and ACL return. And then my very tiny how good was just, obviously that Champions League final was ridiculous. I cannot wait to see how this rivalry evolves. We've spoken heaps about it. But the way it was broadcast was so good. It was so good. So it's a huge credit to, I still don't know how to say it, but the people who broadcast the Champions League on YouTube, they did an absolutely phenomenal job. It turns out when you actually have multiple camera angles and, you know, really, really excellent pre-game, halftime, post-game analysis, it looks like a professional product because it is a professional product. So I have to give, you know, immense credit to the way it was done, seeing especially post-game, the the tactical analysis with Leanne Sanderson and Ian Wright on the post-game coverage. They had the graphics, they had the arrows, they had everything. You could see multiple angles of these ridiculous goals and with a, a goal like Henri's, you do want the reverse angle because it looks good from every angle. So it's just, you know, a further reminder, it's something we've spoken about a lot. If you broadcast the product, if you broadcast these games in a way, in the way that they deserve, they look a thousand times better, even when they're already fantastic. So we love to see, you know, thoughtful investment, good broadcasting of women's games. It's a good thing. Please do more of it. How good? Okay, I just get on my nerd shit just very quickly. Of course. I think so there's like two layers to this that how good as well because there's like the broadcast quality which is fantastic but there's also the access and the the way that the days are doing this um rights deal so I feel quite strongly about the fact that like football more broadly men's football has had entered this space where rights are the most valuable thing that what makes money blah 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 and women's football has just sort of been subsumed into that before it's had the opportunity to build these audiences so I think it's just Dazen's approach of making it free, accessible, and incredibly high quality off the bat. Because um, when when it first was announced, I was like, "This is good," but I'm, I want to see what they do with this initially. How they're going to build interest? I think it's it's really fantastic. So it will move to a paid model eventually, but I think it's going to be great when they do do that. People are actually going to be like, they're going to trust in days and to do a fantastic job of it and so I I've just been super super pumped around that it's um because yeah it's not we've talked about this in a number of different contexts when you look at women's football and developing the game you can't just copy and paste what men's football has done and that does sometimes feel like the case in terms of rights deals um especially for you know grumpy Australian football fans who subscribe to a bajillion different services to watch the different leagues that we have splintered across the broadcasting landscape. So it's a double thumbs up. Love it. Um, and Dazen's actually quite affordable. I don't know if that will change. It was like $3 a month at one point. I was like, well, not happy to pay that, but I don't need to because it's on your tab. Anyway, um, also I just had a quick update on my how good. Maybe my dad sent it through too early because he's actually in the top 11. I just double checked. So he's he's starting 11. Starting 11. Well, out of um, you love to see it. I reckon maybe like a holding midfielder because he's just eternally reliable. Mm. But then Aww. do we put him at a 10 because he's very creative? He is very maybe creative. Maybe an eight. He can be the best of both worlds. Oh, that's what I play. Nice. Well, sometimes. Yeah. Um, I thought you meant to play at 10, Angela, <laughs> if you had a miscommunication. I got. I think I got put in eight yesterday. The fact that I don't know is concerning. <laughs> um well, I was going to say, oh, number 10, they say, thanks, admin. I appreciate everything. That's the team title. That's so cute. Anyway, that's another how good. Um, good stuff. That's that's my little ramble. 
I loved all of it. I loved everything. I loved being back chatting with you guys. It was very good fun. We will have plenty more to talk about. As we said, the Tillies have those upcoming friendlies where they're going to do Iberia. Wish I was them, to be honest. There's so many other things that obviously we will be chatting about and it will all be here on ESPN and you can read some stuff on ESPN.com.au. If you are more men's football inclined, you can listen to the National Curriculum who have joined the ESPN podcast family. So it's a big welcome to those good folks over there. But as always, we are on Spotify, Apple and Google, everywhere you get your podcasts. Please leave reviews and ratings if you like what we're doing. If you want to chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see us. Lovely.